Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to episode 428 of the podcast for October 20th, 2021. I'm joined by two guests today, Nick Katko and Mike DeLuca. They are co-authors of a recently released book titled Practicing Lean Accounting. So for a link to buy the book and to learn more about Nick and Mike and their companies, you can go to leanblog.org slash 428. Thanks for listening. And now here's my conversation with Nick and Mike. Well, hi, welcome again to the podcast. Joining us today are Nick Katko and Mike DeLuca. They are authors of the new book, I've got a copy of it here for those who are watching on YouTube, Practical Lean Accounting. So before I tell you more about Nick and Mike, let me first say welcome to the podcast. First, Nick, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Mark, for having us. And Mike, how are you? Excellent. Thanks for letting us be here. Thank you. Well, I think it's a real good opportunity to um, learn about your work and your backgrounds and the book. We've covered lean accounting just a couple of times. Uh, in the past 15 years of the podcast, I, I, I don't even know enough to be dangerous, so I'll be able to ask some good inquiry questions that uh, will hopefully serve the audience um, well. Uh, but let me tell you about uh, Nick and Mike. So Nick Katko has been practicing lean accounting for over 25 years, both as a CFO and as a lean accounting trainer and coach. Uh, Nick is president and owner of a firm, BMA. Um, Nick is um, co-author of this book, again, Practicing Lean Accounting. Um, He's also written The Lean CFO from 2013 and is co-author of The Lean Business Management System from 2007. Mike DeLuca, in his lean journey, it began with implementing lean accounting as a finance leader in the early 2000s, evolving the finance department's role to meet the changing needs of a lean organization. So Nick's background is manufacturing. Mike, your background is different. You were really doing this in healthcare, right? That's right. And so we'll have a chance to explore that further. And I will ask better open-ended questions um, <laughs> as opposed to that last one. Um, so I want to learn you know, about your backgrounds. And I like to ask guests for you know your origin story as it comes to lean. I know you have two very different stories. Um, Nick, let me, let me start with you. you know, how did you get introduced to lean and, and really yeah. take such an interest. In, in the 1990s, I was CFO of a company by the name of Bullard that uh, they actually invented the hard hat in <laughs> California in the early 1900s. And uh, I was there for 10 years and like the first four years or so, we were very much a traditional manufacturing company with traditional manufacturing problems. We actually brought in somebody, a consultant, and uh, it didn't work out very well. And so we ended up searching for an experienced vice president of manufacturing that had a lot of lean experience. And we hired him and uh, he came on board and quickly, he quickly started changing things and, and mostly the way we thought as a senior leadership team. He, uh, he wanted a lot of help with uh, financial information and performance measurement information. He sort of took me under his wing and helped me understand lean and also the, also the information requirements. And pretty soon, I don't know, you know, maybe a year or so in, it sort of just clicked because I started seeing the financial results get better. And I said, like, this, this thing works. And it, made, it basically made me a believer, and then I was all in on it. And uh, you know, it actually applied lean thinking in the accounting function, supported basically supported everything operations wanted to do. <laughs> to, to, and you know, it's sort of like you want this in your capital budget. Here, you have it. <laughs> you know, you don't have to go through much justification. And uh, so I just learned, and then you know, naturally I progressed into the the information and um, what they need in terms of performance measurements and financial information. So thinking back to 
just as a follow-up, the part of the story yeah. where in a nutshell, you know, you said hired a consultant, it didn't work out. You hired someone in as a VP. I think we have a lot of consultants listening. I mean, from your recollection of it, were, were there any lessons learned for the consultants listening about why that didn't work out? Well, I think, I think the, the, I mean, I, I don't remember much about who, who this person was, but mm-hmm. he didn't really engage the senior leadership team that much. Mm. Uh, he went out on the floor and he tried to, I think, like pilot, pilot a, a lean cell, for example. And uh, but it was like we didn't know. I I didn't really know what was he doing. Why was he doing this? I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of engagement at the senior level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it wasn't that he was necessarily not good. I think it was more we realized we probably need somebody full time in place. Mm-hmm. So let's just go hire somebody. Is there a repeated pattern of what you've seen in other settings of it taking some time? for those financial results to, to really hit the balance sheet or other financial reports? Yeah, I think, I, I think so. I, you know, if I talk to leaders and companies about, about lean and or lean accounting, especially when they're getting started early in the journey, I usually tell them, I said, you know, you're going to, if you start seeing financial results in six months, you know, you might see little bit, but sustained results, you're looking at a year and a half or so. Uh, just because it's, if if you approach lean as people solving problems, they have to learn how to do that. And that takes time. And then there are dynamics, and we might get into this as we dig a little bit deeper into lean accounting. Are, are there dynamics where, you know, you look at, let's say, inventory levels, you've had in, a reduction in inventory, and, and and that can do some weird things to traditional financial oh, yeah. reporting, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, 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 the, the way inventory evaluation works, it, it can make it look like lean is not working financially. And that's really one of the places where the finance and accounting needs to step up and say, hold on, folks, you know, this might not look good, but, you know, we're getting a whole lot of cash here and, and that's good. And it'll all even out mm-hmm. in the long run. But there's the, there's that financial term of inventory going on the asset side of the balance sheet. While we talk about lean, we in, in lean parlance, we talk about inventory being a waste. Sounds yes. like it's a liability, but it's not a financial liability. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's just the way general accepted accounting principles are set up. And uh, just the rules of, you know, what goes into inventory and what goes in the cost of goods sold and how it happens. Uh, we could spend a whole hour on that, but I'm not going to do it. But it's just something that accounting and finance people need to take the lead on. And right. say, this is not reality. You know, this is not like economic reality of how the business is operating. It's something that is going on for financial reporting purposes only. And those think, two things are not the same. And I think this is, I mean, even though we don't need to spend specific time talking about inventory valuation, I think there's a general theme here for us as lean accounting practitioners and leaders, which is to really our learning about the financial impacts of lean then allows us to coach the organization on seeing the, on really evolving and adapting, adopting an, an additional set of measures that really tell the, the story that's a complete picture. Because what we're seeing with the financially reported met- metrics is we still have to track much of that. Um, and it's, but it's not the, it's not the whole picture of how lean is helping the organization. So uh, I just want to underscore Nick, the point that you made about, we want the organization, not just to, to trust that they will see the results, but to understand that there are measures, concrete measures that actually reflect what is going on and can show the organization that improvement is coming, uh, from, from a financial perspective, because we're seeing it operationally. Mm-hmm. So we can, uh... Yeah, well, we can take a deeper dive. And for the real deep dive, again, I'll, I'll mention the book and the title, Practicing Lean Accounting uh, by Nick Katko and Mike DeLuca. So, Mike, let, let's turn things over to you. I'll ask the open-ended version of this time. What can you tell us about your origin story of discovering or learning about lean? 
Um, my origin story, I worked for over 20 years at a healthcare organization in the Seattle area, here in the Seattle area, uh, Group Health. It has since been acquired by Kaiser since I left it in 2013. Um, very similar systems. Uh, the organization is both a payer and a provider of healthcare. Um, and so you pay premiums, but the same organization then provides and coordinates your care. So an organization that both coordinates care and provides care as well as is the payer for that care. Um, and uh, about $4 billion a year in annual revenue. So I worked there for 10 years. And after my first 10 years there, the organization, this was in the early 2000s, brought lean thinking in. And I think one of the things I appreciated as uh, as a leader in the organization, I was leading a uh, 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 financial planning and analysis function uh, for the care delivery system was that the organization brought in a few lean coaches uh, from with external experience and then really through, and, and Nick, you addressed this in your origin story, but a, a little bit of a different take on this, on the story, uh, used a leader-led approach. So teach leaders to teach their next level down to teach their next level down and basically cascade learning throughout the organization uh, through the through the leadership structure. So uh, I learned lean principles, lean concepts, lean tools, and then I was not just expected to, but supported in coaching my own team on improving our processes, on improving the products that we provided to the rest of the organization. And, uh, and it just, for me, early, early on, and I was fortunate that finance was included early on, um, well, also in part because I, 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 I found out about the work that the organization was doing and was eager to, to, to join the process, to join the learning process. Because for me, it solved it, it, it solved conceptually the, the problem that we have been struggling with for years around the mismatch of, of, of the availability of resources and the demand for those resources. So in healthcare, at least in our experience, that there was in our annual financial planning process, there's never enough resource to go around, right? We always feel like we need more resource. And I think the organization's ability to now see the waste and the work that we were doing, whether it's in clinical operations or in support operations, really helped us say, oh, okay, well, I mean, we're not exactly rich in resources. However, we can better we can make much better use. We can stop neglecting those resources, the skills and capabilities of all those people by really seeing and routing out the waste in their work and creating some capacity to better serve patients, to improve quality outcomes. So for me, it was just, it was, I, I, I you know, I couldn't imagine doing work a different way once we started doing it mm -hmm. this way. And then, you know, to Nick's point, then we did, you know, I stayed with the organization for another 10 plus years after we adopted Lean and completely changed the, the products and services we were providing to the organization as finance. We were engaged with the organization in continuous improvement work and in strategy in a different way, which was really, really fulfilling. Um, and, uh, you know, our financial planning processes completely changed. We stopped doing a fixed annual budget and we moved to a series of rolling forecasts and other supporting tools that help the organization better, better uh, forecast and, and manage. So, so really it was, it was, it was exciting. And when I left the organization in 2013, I said, I, I can't do anything other than, than, than lean. So what are, what, what are some, what are some great ways that, uh, that I can help organizations with this? And you, know, you mentioned group health, um, longtime listeners of the podcast. This is going back gosh, over a decade now. Um, I had uh, different leaders from group health uh, as guests. This is going back to episode 23 back in 2007 and episode mm -hmm. 123 going back to um, 2011. And I, I had the chance to make one, maybe two visits to group health back in like the 2009-2010 mm -hmm. timeframe when I was with the Lean Enterprise Institute and, uh, and catalysis. But so I, I do want to hear also, so we, you know, we've heard a little bit about each of your stories. Nick and Mike, how, how did you two meet and get to know each other? And this is kind of moving ahead then to taking the plunge to collaborate on a book. Mm -hmm. Well, we, uh, we've known each other for, I don't know, like about seven years or so, from mainly from the Lean Accounting Summit. And, uh, you, know, at the, you know, going back seven years, Mike is sort of Mike's collaborating with Gene Cunningham. I'm working with Brian Maskell and, you know, we're all friends. We're all doing the same thing. And um, Brian retired in 2018 hmm. 
and was nice enough to help let me run a business. <laughs> and, uh, and then Mike and I were doing some uh, work in Indianapolis with Lean Frontiers in, in uh, it was February mm-hmm. of 2020, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, while we were there, I'll let you tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? No, it had nothing to do with COVID, by the way. <laughs> no, it was just right. It was right before COVID. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was a couple of weeks before things started shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, we we put together for for Lean Frontiers a just a, a, a six module introduction to to lean accounting, um, and uh, and well, what Jean said. Jean Jean announced that she was retiring. No, oh, yeah. So we, so then that's, yeah, a couple, and prior to that, through the Lean Accounting Summit, we had been, so we had started spending time together working on this, this idea of an A3 around lean accounting and the, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, the essence of the problem statement was that we were not seeing the adoption of lean in accounting and finance as rapidly as we were seeing it in customer facing operations. And we were wondering why mm. we're trying to understand what are some of the causes? What are some of the barriers? And then as lean accounting leaders, we, what we were ideally hoping for was that lean and accounting and finance would be beyond a tipping point where it was we could, we could trust that it was self-sustaining. Like the, if there were never another lean accounting summit, it wouldn't matter because people would be so convinced that this is the way that we wanted to work in accounting and finance that, it, that it, would, it would have its own momentum. Very much like, at least for me, I'm observing it in customer-facing operations, whether it's manufacturing, healthcare, construction, doesn't matter. And so we had started that conversation and then began developing um, uh, this this six module course with Lean Frontiers, like Nick mentioned, and then right before we were going to uh, get do the recording of the course, Jean announced her retirement. <laughs> and so, um, so then back to Nick, your 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 point of the story when we were in Indianapolis, and then we had dinner, and uh, we were just start we started talking. We said, you know, it's me and you, Mike. <laughs> let's let's work together and that started it and then uh you know about a month later everything gets shut down and mm-hmm. i i had it in the back of my mind i had the idea of writing a book another book after the lean cfo but never really got around to it mm-hmm. and then uh as we teach in lean accounting, if you have available capacity, you need to apply that available capacity to the best use. Mm-hmm. And because I couldn't travel and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and many companies weren't doing doing any any kind of lean accounting work at the time, I had I said, well, how about writing a book? And then I talked to Mike about it and said, would you like to help out? And that's how we got started. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I want to uh, ask before we get into some of the details around lean accounting or lean for accounting and finance, the title of the book, Practicing Lean Accounting, made me smile when I saw it. Um, either of you want to tell a little bit of the story of, of why that title, Practicing Lean Accounting? Well, it has a little bit to do with you, Mark. <laughs> no, back in, in, in a, a lean accounting summit, uh, it may have been 2016. I think you mm-hmm. spoke there. Yeah. And you, you did a keynote and your keynote was practicing lean. Yeah. And you know, I think it was right before or right after your book came out. Mm-hmm. And I was there and I thought it clicked with me, not, oh, I got to write a book like that, but it just clicked with me. The, the word practicing, mm-hmm. because a, a lot of the way that lean accounting was taught was tools, but also mm-hmm. it's, you know, you got to do lean accounting and not, and I'm just talking manufacturing wise, you got to do lean accounting and not do standard costing. And that's a non-starting argument for why lean accounting is important. And so that just stuck with me. And Mike and I were uh, Mike, why don't you tell them our first format of the book? We had a first, we had an original concept because the, the lean accounting 
our, our thought process was this is a journey that you go on. You're basically exploring, you're learning new things. And as you learn, as you experience and learn those new things, you've got more experience and capability under your belt. So we originally had structured it or conceived it as something of a, of a roadmap, of a journey. Like you can imagine a map of a, of, of a country or an area and you explore these different places. Let's explore um, eliminating standard costing, even though it's a non-starter. Let's explore, let's explore improving month-end clothes. Let's explore these different areas and learn about them as ways to integrate the thinking into your, into your daily work. But then Nick brought up this idea that, that what we're doing is really is we're really helping folks learn new practices and practices are something that you don't do as a project or you don't implement as a tool, but really mm-hmm. you integrate into the way that you do your work every day. Um, and for the same reason, it really resonated with me. Um, and uh, so that then we, and we, then we changed the concept of the book entirely. And, and it's interesting because, you know, Brian Maskell's earlier book, Practical Lean Accounting, which is uses the adjective instead of the verb, also mm-hmm. a great book but very, very different in its approach to the content and approaching teaching it. And so we really wanted to be do something that was that was complementary to, to the great books that had been written previously. And even though the word is similar, I think mm-hmm. really to Nick's point, the engaging the reader and the learner in the activity of doing uh, of doing this, of of practicing lean accounting on a regular basis, was is really is really the point, sort of at the mm-hmm. you know the front and the and the back of the book. Account yeah. accounting and finance people um, have a tendency to think transactionally with deadlines, mm-hmm. and so it's like okay, well we're going to do lean accounting and then we're going to be done with it. <laughs> so it, it was like you know we need to change that mentality. And, and that's one reason why we selected the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, I was happy that you did because, you know, that's a word that I hoped would sort of catch on in different mm-hmm. ways. I mean, lawyers get to say they're practicing law. My exposure to healthcare, similarly to yours, Mike, you hear people talking about practicing medicine. It seemed mm-hmm. like there was a, a reasonable parallel because, you know, it seems like there, this, there there's two different schools of thought, maybe a different way of saying what you're both suggesting, like you can think of a, a discipline as, well, there's a finite set of things to learn and then mm-hmm. I've learned them and then I do them versus something that's more of building capabilities. You know, Mike, you talked mm-hmm. about in your setting uh, in, in healthcare finance, this idea of problem solving. Is, is that part of, in what way is that part of the practice or could you kind of elaborate on that component of practicing lean accounting, what we learn versus like what we learn in terms of facts and concepts versus what we learn through ongoing practice. Sure. Problem solving. Oh, um, there's so many different ways to share an anecdote that helps answer that question. For me, I think one of the things that I, you know, I would do is I would think about just in most organizations, in all organizations, there's some kind of a financial planning process, usually called a budget. Um, and, and we look at our performance against that, right? It sets something of a target on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis. And then we look at our performance. How are we doing relative to budget? So it's giving us some kind of information. And when you look in retrospect at what the variance is from the budget or the plan, you try and learn from that and, and you make adjustments. And I think from the lean perspective, problem solving is really what we learned and tried to apply was that problem solving needed to be grounded in a couple of things. First of all, it needed to be grounded in actually understanding the work, right? So we can look at a budget variance, but have no idea what happened in terms of the work that that Mm -hmm. led to that budget variance, because we're looking retrospectively and we're not going to see the process. Um, And so so for us, even in finance, using using problem solving as much as possible to understand financial performance. One example was when we moved away from this uh, retrospective review of budget and we moved to some more current indicators of performance, um, we noticed pretty quickly in this one instance um, something that seemed like it was out of whack. Right. So you might imagine if you're on a manufacturing line, some uh, machine might not be performing to specifications. If you're in healthcare, you might notice whether it's with your equipment or even with something that's going on with patients, something is not. So you would pause and say, well, let's 
let's do some problem solving. Let's ask why. Let's do some root cause analysis. So we tried to apply those same approaches to this exact situation. Say this financial indicator looks out of whack. Let's do some root cause analysis. And so we went through the same discipline, but with the people who do the work. But that meant for us, we had to go to the people who did contracting. We had to go to the people who paid the claims. We had to go to the people. Anyway, so you can imagine the cross-functional nature of this. What we discovered, and we're able to organize a root cause analysis that allowed the organization to, to, to implement countermeasures. And so, so when we never, I mean, it's not that we didn't have really smart people working on this before, but we now had an approach, a problem-solving approach that was grounded in the, the actual work that was being done that impacted the financial outcomes. And we were able to come up with something that improved the outcome before we got too far into a negative financial situation. So that's an example of, mm-hmm. of, of telling, you know, of, of answering the question. I don't know if that's getting at what you were thinking about. Um, well, no, uh, that's helpful. I mean, one, one example, so I think it's interesting to think about cause and effect. One example might be going back to 2020, these are monthly reviews or quarterly reviews. I could see at the end of Q2, just for one example, we look and say, Mm -hmm. my goodness, we have blown through our budget on masks and gowns and PPE. That one's not so much of a mystery, but like what's the benefit perhaps in trying to manage processes, managing budgets in more of a real-time manner instead of in sort of batchy, let's say quarterly uh, cycles. I, I think one of the one of the advantages, a budget or a forecast, even if you're doing a rolling forecast, is made up of a set of assumptions. All right, and like like I say to a lot of companies, you know, nobody's really good at all those assumptions. And so if you, you know, if, if you hold people accountable, actual to budget, you know, that, that, that's why budgets get padded and, and mm-hmm. all the gamesmanship goes on because they know, they, they're trying not to get blamed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you, you know, if you adopt more of a, a PDCA approach, you know, what's the problem that is trying to be solved by looking at these numbers. Okay, so we're doing a forecast to get an idea if these conditions hold, we these are the outcomes we expect. So it's, you know, you you have to almost look at what is going on operationally to understand what the financial results were. Mm-hmm. What are the problems and issues? Um, you're not going to change financial results unless you change operational practices. Mm-hmm. And that's ongoing and dynamic. It's not based on a bunch of assumptions that you know a, a lot of companies are making right now this this quarter for all of 2022. And I think what it speaks to is moving away from a, like you said Mark a batched approach to any kind of financial work whether it's our financial planning our fi- our, our results analysis or even managing our own work within the finance and moving away from a monthly or quarterly batch to what are daily indicators, right? And for us, I think one of the big ahas when we first started implementing lean or bringing lean thinking into the organization and making it part of the daily practice and the daily habit was initially we still had we still had what we called the lean management system and the financial management system. That was early on in our in our in our learning about lean. The the lean management system were all the daily indicators on the nursing units and the labs and the pharmacies, where in the central sterilization and wherever uh, that that those leaders felt were really really indicative of the workload for that day and the team's ability to to achieve that workload and the problems that they were trying to solve. It, I mean, it wasn't too long until we realized. That, it, that rather than having a separate financial management system, which was also trying to become more responsive, more predictive, more proactive, and more real-time, in addition to doing that, we really needed to just simply integrate them. It was one management system that included operational indicators of financial outcomes, and those operational indicators were daily. Yeah, you see a lot of that. I, I see a lot of that in, in many, especially larger companies in manufacturing and non-manufacturing, where operations has their little system and and finance has their little system and they 
they're not the systems aren't talking to each other and then at times it can make the people talk cross purposely because mm-hmm. finance is looking at stuff and saying oh this is wrong then operations is looking at stuff and saying oh no this has to get better and it causes all that organizational angst that's mm-hmm. totally unnecessary and then to get back to your point and question mark then the problem solving isn't really using the you know the the full information that's that that would be available to it we're not we're not aligned on problem solving and you know, you, you bring up the words uh, blame earlier and then angst a minute ago i mean i think there are parallels where there, there was a really interesting book that came out maybe a year ago called The Tyranny of Metrics. And I would say the problem is not metrics. The problem is people's behavior. Yeah. When people are pressured, you better hit that metric or else. There's where the angst and blame and fear comes in. Um, financial metrics are a form of, of metric. Um, but, you know, so the parallel I was wondering, you know, is, is there sometimes not the tyranny of metrics, but the tyranny of budgets, where it's now being used in a way that shouldn't be, that budgets aren't necessarily, is it fair to say also, you know, budgets aren't bad, but some of the behaviors around budgeting are the problem? I think it's some of both, honestly. The, the budget itself is an imperfect tool. If we were to going to design, you know, in, in lean thinking, we will try to design both a process and a product to meet the customer's requirement. We want it to be fit for use or fit for purpose. And if we step back and took the same and we discarded the budget entirely and said, here is the here are the customer requirements. We need to be able to have a forecast. We need to be able to set performance targets that are meaningful. We need to be able to incentivize people. We need to be able to allocate resources. If we said, let's design a set of processes that are not overly burdensome. We don't want to have administrative waste unnecessarily, but are ideally designed to meet those, to create those outcomes, we wouldn't have the budget. So I think it's both of what the things that you said, Mark. I think that the, the process and the tool is imperfect mm-hmm. and also the behaviors that have grown up along with it are, are, are not ideal. Yeah, I, I think, you know, using actual to budget, um, as any kind of performance indicator, a managerial performance indicator is just terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mind saying that. I, I just got to tell you a quick story. Working in a, a, a manufacturing facility and part of a large company, and they had divisions. And so the, the plant controller wanted me to sit in with the division corporate controller and the other plant controllers, they were doing an online meeting. Corporate controller gets on there and says, uh, we're not hitting our budgets at the divisional level, and we have to start doing that, and we have to start doing it next month, or we have to start doing it this month. So all of you need to report back to me within a week what changes you are going to make to make sure you hit your budgets. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, what you know, what control does a plant, what what influence does a plant controller have on manufacturing operations? Very little, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it just she actually wanted me to sit in it because she knew that, that that's what was going to happen. But it was just like it's that kind of behavior that is just it's just like it's total waste. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's the only way to look at mm-hmm. it. So, um, you know, we're, we're more than 30 minutes into an episode about lean accounting. Uh, this is probably my fault. I should have asked for more of just a nutshell definition <laughs> at the beginning. Maybe I, I can edit part of that into the very beginning intro. Um, how, how do either of you or maybe both of you want to take a stab at like what's just a good nutshell elevator speech definition of lean accounting? It's, it's applying lean thinking to all accounting processes and information. Mike, what would you add to that? We're now going back down the elevator again because we hit the wrong button. (laughs) Going back down the elevator. Uh, In my elevator speech, I would, in in addition to what Nick said, um, applying lean principles to, to the products and the services we provide in accounting and finance, it is really to ensure that those products and services help the company improve value for the end customer. And so that means um, 
a couple of different things, maybe we can share some examples digging in of how to apply lean to accounting functions and accounting work. And then how you, and you've alluded to this, how this then applies, uh, the, the lean concepts in accounting and finance, how that supports a lean enterprise, mm-hmm. if you will. Would, would one of you want to take that first part of, what are some examples of applying lean to the accounting function, yeah, closing Mike. the books or things like that? Like, you take that one, Mike. So the accounting function, the, some of the transactional work we talked about earlier, we have, to, we have to pay vendors, we have to bill customers, or we have to post revenue, we have to close the books every month, we have to um, process payroll, if that's something that we do internally. So those are all things that we do in accounting and finance in most organizations in some shape or form in order for the business to run smoothly, um, ensures that we're... Um, we're, we're uh, you know, showing our assets and our liabilities in an effective way on the balance sheet. So all of that work is just like any other transactional process, um, which could be or any or any any process that has an outcome. Like I just built a customer and collected the revenue and posted the payment, or I just paid you know processed an invoice and paid a vendor. Any of those are are end to end processes that are part of bigger processes um, that we would apply lean thinking to. So you know what's the what does that problem need to be capable of? Do we need to pay vendors by in, well, in the terms with their contract? Um, we need to make sure that we're doing that in a way that isn't overburdening employees, whatever those. So what would, you know, we might set a couple of targets around the quality of that process. It's, you know, paid and the, and the delivery paid correctly, paid on time. The cost of that process in terms of what it costs us to do that. Um, when we set those targets, if we're not, are, how are we doing relative to those targets? Um, so it's, again, it's the same, we'd go through the same thought process, then we let's walk the process. How is it going? How much variation is there? Is there a common best practice that's being followed? Um, is there standard work? Can I observe the standard work? Um, so in, in, in accounting operations, accounting and finance operations, it's, um, and it may sound like basic blocking and tackling, but boy, it's an awful lot of fun because I think in finance and accounting, when we're doing those functions, and, and this is, I, I would imagine this is true for anybody doing their daily work. They encounter so much waste that they've become immune to because they're so used mm-hmm. to it, that walking the process with them and helping them see that and then helping them see their way to, to reducing and eliminating that is, is brilliant. I think the other thing, though, that it gives us insights to is because most, if not all of what we do in finance and accounting is the result of downstream customer facing activities whether it's paying a vendor who we, who we engaged with in order to provide services or produce products for end customers, or whether it's, um, or whether it's engaging with the company's customers in, in billing and collecting, uh, collecting their payments, what we're getting is information that was created upstream during the customer-facing work. Um, so that gives us a lot of insights into what's going well and what's not going so well, because we end up having to sort through, correct, change things that through no one's fault, but through challenges in the process, end up end up hitting accounting and finance. So that's that's a little bit about what we're doing in accounting and finance and how it's just like process improvement in operations and gives us insights into operations because we receive a lot from operations in order to do that work. And, and Nick, what would you add then about some of the, the interfaces or the touch points between accounting and finance and the rest of the enterprise? Yeah. Well, it's it's the information that, which is really the product here that um, is delivered to the internal customers, the, the, the non-financial people who are doing analysis and decision-making throughout the business. And you can, you can imagine picture any company, even a small company, you know, that, that's a lot of a lot of people and a lot of information. When a company commits to lean thinking in whatever industry, the, the, the useful and understandable information they need either th- directly from accounting and finance or for accounting and finance to support changes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, think about this, it's, it's like quality. Okay, the quality has changed. The, the customer has a new quality spec. We have to deliver it. And, and accounting needs to become very aware and cognizant of that. That's something that I experienced personally when I was talking about my story. It's like the, the, the 
the lean people who came into our business, they basically said, we don't want this anymore. Mm-hmm. This is what we need. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. All right. You know, it's, uh, I need to, I need to adapt my thinking. And that's really the, the, the big piece of it, you know, it, it, and it's, it's, it's not like paying a bill, you know, it's not like sending an invoice out. It's, it, you really have to understand what your customers need mm-hmm. and deliver it. I have a short anecdote about that. If I, if I could ask for yeah. a, a minute or two to do that, because I think what you Nick, your point is really, really critical. And, uh, and we, we want the financial operations like uh, payables and receivables to hum, but it's really, you know, if we can create capacity there to really use this, the, the, the talent and the, the skills and the finance team to help better inform the, the organization. One of the things that, you know, I had about, uh, you know, a, a team of 30 folks reporting up for me. And we, one of the things that we did every month was we, we sent reports out. We had reports that either would, you know, could go to 9,000 person organization, a report could go to one person or thousands of people. It was, but we had 400 some odd reports that we produced on a monthly basis. And I, I you know, I've talked to other folks in finance teams and who, who do monthly reporting of, you know, key indicators or trends or, or things like that. And then, you know, they'll have similar stories. And we would say from time to time, you know, we'd like to, you know, do you still use that report? And everybody would say, oh yeah, I still want that report. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think lean thinking allowed us to change the frame of the conversation. We had a hypothesis that those reports really weren't helping the organization improve customer value. But we didn't want to just make a presumption. You know, there's some some teams will say, well, we'll just turn it off and see if they complain, right? You know, it's that, <laughs> you know, if they don't notice that they're, they're not getting the report. But I think the more important thing was whether or not we were producing it or, or, or not is what we were producing, helping the organization improve customer value. So we actually just had every analyst on the team who produced a customer a, a, a report that obviously was consumed by an audience interview their audience, which was their end customer, and say, and instead of saying, "Do you want this anymore?" saying, "I'm really curious. It will help me ensure that I've got the most helpful report if I understand how you're using this to improve customer value." And for us, it was the patient. How are you using this to improve patient value? And, and just created a whole different conversation. And we ended up re- eliminating hundreds of reports. But I think the more important and creating capacity on the team, which was one of our was one of our uh, one of our uh, intentions. But I think the more important thing was that the reports that remained, we were really convinced that those were being used to help the organization make improvements. And then that became part of our standard work. Whenever we got a request for a new report. It was part of the new report development process. And whenever, and if we had an ongoing report, we had a, at least an annual review with the end user to how is it being used to improve customer value. So I think, you know, that's, that's part of the transformational thinking that is when we talk about, it, it's not just a project. This is really about the practice of the thinking of lean accounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, I want to ask you in, in the book, you make reference to, why it's important for others outside of accounting to understand how accounting thinks. And I'll admit my bias as an operations person, I'll say, it's like, well, the accountants should better understand operations. But why why do you say it's important for others to understand how accounting thinks? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a still a practicing CPA. I got my accounting degree and, you know, I did my stint in public accounting way back when. We, 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 at one level, we can't help it. <laughs> we, we learn how to think a certain way because of our, our training and then the way we do our work. And, you know, accountants have a, a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that the numbers they produce whether the, they're the external financial statements or anything internal is, you know, of good quality. Okay, and 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 they work really hard at that. And, you know, I think and and they can become insular, insu- insular. You know, this is mm-hmm. that island of accounting. You know that, and and so it's it's important to open up the doors of communication. And, and, you know, I believe that operations can learn a lot from accounting about why they 
are thinking that this is quality information. You know, as much as uh, accounting can learn from operations, for example, what does lean look like physically in in our business? And it's just, you know, they, they if you just, it, it's like a respect thing, you know, mm-hmm. just re, let's respect our, prof, you know, we have these like functional professions in a business and let's respect them because, uh, you know, there's, there's good that's in each one. It's, you know, we can't just throw it all out and, and start over. So that's part of the reason why I talk about, we talk about that. And, and so you, you bring up the word respect and, you know, in the book here, and again, the title, it's practicing lean accounting. You might think, well, it's all about numbers. Nick's shaking his head no for those who no, are just listening not. to the podcast. <laughs> I mean, so bringing it back to just the, the broader question, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts, give a different definition, maybe the phrase respect for people. What, what does that mean to each of you? Maybe Nick, um, since you, you reacted to that strongly. It's, you know, it, I got to think about this one. So let me go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Respect for people in, at least for me, in, in learning lean is really taking to heart that the people who do the work understand it best. So if we're looking for improvement, let's go to where the work happens, understand what's happening, um, and then use that to, uh, to, in, to inform improvements. And so in, in, from the lean accounting perspective, um, it, it's, it, it's really, for me, when I transitioned from an individual contributor in finance and accounting to a manager, I thought, great, finally, all of these great ideas that I've had as an analyst, I get to like make people do them now because I'm a manager. And then when, and, and, and I, I managed probably that way for, I don't know, a number of years. And then, and then when lean thinking came in, I realized that this idea of respect for people is now I've got all of these really talented people who are in my department and, and it's my responsibility to bring forward all of their good thinking in a way that helps my department function better and helps us better serve the organization. So for me, respect for people is, and I have, you know, probably more examples than would ever make sense in a, in a short episode like this. But one, one of the ones I just want to bring this up is when we would, and this is probably similar in many organizations, we had an annual an annual requirement that we had uh, professional development plans. So that's okay. That's great. We organizations committed to supporting its employees with professional development. That's a that's a noble thing. Um, and uh, but the folks on my on my team, I said, Mike, when do we have time for this? Because our work weeks are so busy that for me to do professional mm-hmm. development it means is I'm basically figuring it out on the weekend. And I think one of the things that we that we took to heart in modeling respect for people was how can we number one create capacity, but number two integrate professional development actually into our work processes. So that actually became professional development, professional development and skills development became part of how we developed work, assigned work, prioritized work, got work accomplished. Um, and so it became fully integrated. And so that's, that's just an example, but I think, I think it rings true in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I, I think respect for people in the context of lean accounting um, it goes back to what you said, Mark, a couple minutes ago. It's not about the numbers. It's about the people who are mm-hmm. using the numbers. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. And, you know, like, like you said, Mike, with your story about, uh, you know, sitting down with the people who were using the numbers and it opened up their eyes, it opened up your team's eyes. And, you know, I mentioned you know, my story, uh, and you know, the, 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 the lean leaders that I was, that were my colleagues, excuse me, they simply didn't, you know, dismiss everything. They, they brought me in. They, they, they helped me learn what lean was about. That's respect for people. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we had a lot of casual conversations about it. It wasn't, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this. And, and the transformation, you know, I, I 
transform my thinking. And I think, you know, this is, this is what lean accounting is all about in, and, and it's about learning. Mm -hmm. And the more that you learn what your customers need, and, and, and I'm going to take away the peep, the readers of the financial statements, because, you know, accounting knows that, Uh, but it's your internal customers. It's, it's, you know, your, like your customers and your suppliers, for example, yeah, they want to get paid on time. They want the invoice on time, but how quick, how easy it is, how easy is it for them to work with you in accounting to resolve a problem? It's, it's things like that, mm-hmm. that accounting really just needs to, I'm not saying they're not good at it, but you know, you need to think about it and you need to try to get better at it. Well, thanks. Those are a lot of really good thoughts on um, respect for people, the concept and the application of it. Um, a couple of questions before uh, we, we wrap up. You know, Mike, you mentioned some processes earlier, the application of lean to things like you know, payroll and paying suppliers and um, mm-hmm. things like that apply in virtually every business. But thinking to your time in healthcare, is there any application or dynamic of these lean accounting principles that is kind of like uniquely a healthcare thing? Well, I mean, the first thing that occurs to me is uh, revenue cycle. The first thing that occurs to me is customer billing is because healthcare's payment system involves more often than not a third party. Um, and, And because of its complexity, can trouble the end customer, can create a lot of waste, frustration for the end customer. So I'll just share one story as an example. Um, and this one in particular, because I was working with a hospice uh, organization. Um, and you know, I imagine most folks are, are aware that hospice is really helping people through their end of life process. Um, the billing requirements for hospice are very stringent. Um, Medicare has very, very strict rules around how that happens. And so behind the scenes, there's an awful lot of process waste that goes on. And so this organization did a really good job of working upstream with the clinical team and figuring out a lot of where the process hiccups were so that they got the right diagnosis at the right time, all the things from a process perspective. But I I think what really brought it home for everyone was that, and and I'm just think for a moment that you have a loved one who's going through their end of life process. And three months later, you get a bill that is indecipherable. That's, I mean, the impact to, I mean, it's just, it's, the impact really is so significant to me when you think about what can we do in finance? I mean, there's nothing that we can do to ease that loss, but what we can do is not make it more painfully confusing than it needs to be. Right. Because not only did I get the bill months later. And so now I'm not even, I mean, I'm not even, I don't even know where I'm at in my grieving process, but I'm not thinking about mm-hmm. that bill. Right. I'm the, the, my family I'm receiving from my family members um, end of life uh, process and passing, but it's indecipherable. I don't know what I'm supposed to pay, what my insurance company was supposed to pay. Why didn't they pay what they were going to pay? And so I just, you know, so that is one aspect of process improvement in healthcare that I think, boy, if we could really nail a customer-friendly revenue cycle by error-proofing the thing from front to back, um, talk about the, a contribution to, and, and a customer wouldn't even realize that they didn't have a headache because there'd be no headache. They've got the headaches now. Um, so anyway, that's, I could go longer on that because I feel passionate about it, but that's, that's one example. And, and, and there's, I'm sure many, many other situations where the indecipherable bill, ranges from a mild annoyance to a gut punch, depending on what mm-hmm. type of treatment somebody is going through. I have, um, a friend from high school, uh, a classmate who, uh, passed away a few months back of, of cancer, you know, at age 48. And, um, as he, you know, he was sick for about six months. It was all pretty quick and traded some messages with him. And, you know, he brought up the, we were just kind of talking, he was asking, um, we're we're just kind of just talking about what's going on. And and he threw out the thing about, yeah, we have no idea what this is all going to cost. This all being his treatment, the attempt to save or extend his life. And I had no answers to that. I'm like, it's just, it's. Uh, it was really, un- really sad to hear. And, and there are a lot of people going through that 
in different times. So, um, so thank you for bringing up that, that whole challenge and, and the opportunity to, um, to do better for folks. Um, Nick, the uh, final question I want to, it's hard to transition away from that. Um, but Nick, uh, thanks for bearing with me here. Um, to both uh, Mike and Nick and, and to the listeners. But, but Nick, I was going to ask you a final question. You know, you talked earlier about engaging um, finance leaders, you know, particularly CFOs. Do you have any tips for you know, how to best engage CFOs to either you know, pique their interest about lean or to try to help bring them along on this journey? I think one thing to do, <clears throat> a couple things. Uh, one is uh, the, the, the message of what lean means to the organi- organization needs to be very simple and clear. Like, and, uh, you know, what I learned at Bullard from the vice president of manufacturing that was hired from day one, here's what he said. He said, we're going to, we're going to have 95% or better on-time delivery. We're going to ship every order in three days without finished goods inventory. That's what he said from day one. He never, he never wavered from that. And you Mm. know what? We got there. Mm. And, and so one at the top, you know, if you're sort of a senior leader in a company, uh, like a CFO or something, you know, is there a clear message of what lean means to the organization? Mm-hmm. That is one thing. Number two is uh, it, help the finance and accounting people see what lean looks like, Okay. It, you know, you can talk about things and you, you can talk about a lot of stuff. You can use all kinds of fancy words. But what does it mean physically? Whether it's getting them uh, to participate in improvement events and operations, for example, or whether it is let's let's do some stuff inside the accounting function just so we tell we you can see what this means to the rest of the company. And those mm-hmm. are the best two ways to get started. After that, you know, I, I, most accounting and finance people are quite intelligent. Mm-hmm. And when they can start making those connections, you know, it, t- don't make it abstract. Just make it physical and everything then sort of flows, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Mike, let me turn it to you for a final thought. I see you nodding your head. Is there anything else you would add, other tips on just back to that question of how to best get started with this. How to best get started. I mean, honestly, for me, it is whether we're talking about the CFO or a manager in finance, um, I'm really curious about two things. What if you if you had to think about your day-to-day work, where 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 are you experiencing the most headaches? Right. So if I'm a CFO and I'm concerned with month-end close because it's not going smoothly. Then let's start. Let's start at a place where there's an opportunity to create some immediate um, improvement capacity. But it has to be based on what what that. I mean, I could come in and say, well, every organization needs to start by improving month end close. But if it's not a pain point or it's not a significant concern, it's not the right place to start. Um, and to, and I think that's to Nick's point. If we want folks to see what Lean is capable of doing, and I think the other thing also. Uh, to to echo in maybe in a slightly different way what you said, Nick, is that I want the CFO to say, to to articulate what financial outcomes or what financial indicators are they most concerned about? Are they concerned about with, are they concerned with profit margin? Are they concerned with the balance sheet strength? Are they concerned with some other balance sheet indicator? Are they concerned with um, sort of the the level of uh, the, the, the lack of clarity on asset management? And what's, what's the thing that the financial leader is concerned about? And then to start to trace that back to what will lean do to address that? So that's what I would add. And, one one final thing, actually, this this was a uh, something that uh, I posted on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, and uh, some people have been commenting on. Make it make lean accounting part of the overall lean strategy. It's not mm-hmm. it it doesn't stand alone by itself. It works in concert with all of the other mm-hmm. lean activities and practices that are going on throughout the organization. 
and, and just integrate it. Here's a great example. I have a, I know a finance leader from an organization that was deeply lean who left that organization to, to, to take a finance leadership position at an organization that wasn't lean at all. Um, and, uh, and, and he said, you know, I had lunch with him and I said, well, you know, so is your, is your other, other folks on the executive team, are they interested in lean? And he said, yeah, they're interested in improvement, but not lean specifically. But he said, what I'm doing with my, I'm not telling my team in finance that we're doing lean, but I put up a visual board with our daily metrics. I started a daily morning huddle or stand up meeting. He said, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm establishing the daily routines and the daily practices and habits, not telling the, 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 the team anything about lean per se, but just starting, starting the habits, starting the practices mm-hmm. so that they're experiencing it and learning through experience, not necessarily by having to go through a class or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. so, th- I mean, that's, that's very practical. So, um, a lot of great tips and food for thought here. Uh, one thing that can probably help you on this journey is uh, sometimes reading a book. There's a time and a place, a role for uh, a book to maybe kick off the learning by doing. And um, mm-hmm. and also, again, the book is titled Practicing Lean Accounting. Um, it is available at, uh, you can learn more about the book, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, uh, maskell.com slash practicing lean accounting. You can find it. Uh, on Amazon as a paperback or uh, a Kindle book. And uh, again, I'll put links to that in the show notes. So again, our guests today have been Nick Katko and Mike DeLuca, co-authors of that book, Practicing Lean Accounting. So thank you for allowing me to continue my practicing with podcasting. And I hope I hope you enjoyed it. I think this has been a real good hour. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, thank Mark. I enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Me too. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Well, thanks again to Nick and Mike for joining us today. Again, for show notes, links to their book and more, you can go to leanblog.org slash 428. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.